So I found out an interesting fact. I have a problem saying the word lowrider. It doesn't sound natural. It doesn't sound right. I was going to do the whole Donnie lowrider thing, but it, it felt weird. So I'm going to start out by saying that I'm going to watch uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. Hi, my name is Mark D. I am an IT guy, dad, and generally bad movie nerd and bad enunciation nerd, bad elocution nerd. And this is uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. Crutch word, crutch word. This is a movie that I've seen a lot, an idiotic amount of times. I've seen it on TV, on like TNT or FX or whatever. I'll spike, I'm sure, because it's pretty awesome. It's got a lot of big engine car shit. Yeah. But I, I've owned the DVD for a long time. I've, I've watched it a lot. And I destroyed that DVD as far as I can recall. However, my wife, my lovely wife, my fantastic wife, literally my soulmate and the perfect match for me, also owned this DVD. And if you did catch the Sunshine Summit that I was on and you saw the video, you know that I have a 68 Mustang GT500 behind me, Shelby. In the movie, it's a 67. And that's fine. It's not a big deal. She also has the movie, but she had the extended edition. I had the, the plain Jane theatrical release. And I got to see the extended edition or the unrated edition. And it is different. And it was really weird uh, having this knowledge of this thing that you've had for so many years. And then being like, wait a fucking second. Did I not remember this correctly at all? But I did, and I had to look it up. I had to Google, like, what are the differences? Because I thought I was going insane. I'm not insane. I'm fine. Thank you for asking. But it's pretty wild. So uh, hang on, grab the O-Ship bar, and uh, let's peel out listening to Gone in 60 Seconds. And I don't, I don't have sound design for this right now, but I'm going to look for some. So maybe it'll be here. So I still really, really like this movie. I like this movie a dumb amount. I genuinely do. But maybe that's not so crazy. This movie is... Um, maybe one of the better illustrations of the phenomenon of the audience liking a movie much better than the critics, or I don't want to use the word disconnect, but maybe the dichotomy of the critical viewing and the audience viewing. Or evaluation, I should say, right? Because the viewing is the same. They see it the same way. They evaluate it with a... A value judgment in, on on a different vape on a different vapus like I'm a, like I'm at a vape shop ridiculous on a different basis and this movie does that right so it's twenty five percent on the tomato meter with regards to critics but it is seventy seven percent with regards to audience score for me it's 
it's really high. Like I, I genuinely like this dumb ass, stupid, stupid movie. And as I'm, I have the Rotten Tomatoes page open. I see Angelina Jolie's face on it, and she has almost no fucking impact in the movie. She is there solely to quote unquote, and I'm quoting some fucking bro somewhere, right? I'm quoting the bro in my head that's like, it's a sausage fest, bro. Like, there was a test screening, and they're like, it's a sausage fest, bro. We need, like, some fine-ass girl. And they did that. And I think this for a few reasons. I think this for the superfluity, if that's how you say that, of her role. Not that it's awful, but it doesn't factor into things too, too much. The superfluity of her role, the disposable nature of her role, and the... And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say it's a quite sexy scene where they are in the Hemikuda about to have sex while stealing the Diablo SV or Diablo Lamborghini of a couple who is actually about to have sex. And I think I thought it was a sexy scene when I was 15, and I still do now. So it's maybe one of those things. But that's the sole reason for having the character of Sway in the movie. So just putting it out there from Jump because it bothers me a little bit that she's on the cover of the movie and she's on the banner picture on Rotten Tomatoes. Not that it bothers me that she's a woman, but that her character has such a small role but such a prominent placement. So that being said, there's a lot to get into, but I'll tie back to Swordfish because this movie was directed by Dominic Senna, the same director of Swordfish, and I feel like they shared some shooting schedule with regards to the street scenes in LA. For sure, it feels that way uh, because everything in this movie is motherfucking yellow and teal. And there are video essays on this, and they are all 100% correct. That is actual garbage. Well, it's not, it's not actual garbage. It is a marker of the time. Everything was orange and teal because they are complementary colors, and I get it. It makes sense, and it, it feels okay, but when you see it in the cold light of, you know, 5600 Kelvin, right? It's like, ugh, ugh, that aesthetic is very of the time. Although, that being said, there are other movies that will do things like that on purpose. Sicario being one of them, being shot in Mexico, outdoors primarily. They want you to feel like it's Mexico. Um, This movie, we go... From L.A., L.A. is like Mexico, apparently. And then we go into a junkyard office factory thing. And it is either teal or, or hot fluorescent green. Vomit-inducing green. And I'm, I'm not in love with that. But that being said, the 
memory, right, of watching this movie. I don't know. I don't know. It just, it feels right. Watching this movie graded normally would feel super fucking weird. But it's just one of those things where we have our imperfect human experiences on that. So, just fucking orange. And and even the cover is orange. There's a lot of orange. If that bothers you, don't. I'm assuming everyone has seen this movie, right? I'm not even going to give you the, like, oh, warning, spoilers. This isn't a spoilers kind of movie. There's no, like, subtext. There's no reveal. The movie plays out, and you watch it, and either you like it or you don't. I happen to like it. It has a lot of the things that I like. It has a lot of cars. has, um, surprisingly, I think, fun characters, except for Freb. Freb with a B instead of Fred. I thought it was Fred for, like, almost 20 years. Apparently it's Freb. That's Fuck this movie because of Freb. But Freb is the same actor that plays Frank and Donnie Darko. And Frank was here and he went to get beer. So there's that. So I think where I first want to jump in here, uh, meaning that I haven't quite yet, but I did. Anyway, I want to talk about the soundtrack. Uh, Gone in 60 Seconds has a very surprising soundtrack. And one of the first songs that we hear in the movie, if not the first. Okay, so the first song we hear in the movie, I actually don't know the name of right now. Please hold. The first song that we hear in the movie is not the song, or was not the one looking at the names of the songs on the soundtrack that I would have thought it was, but it's actually Flower by Moby. And it is, if you are acquainted with anyone who likes this movie, it is the Bring Sally Up, Bring Sally Down song. And that's the opening credit song. The opening credit song is going through all of this uh, automotive paraphernalia and stuff like that. It's showing family pictures of uh, Nicolas Cage and Giovanni Ribisi, already establishing that they are related. But it's a really fucking catchy song, as Moby songs can be. And then we kind of open up on uh, Rubisi, who plays Kip. Freb. Freb, which I'll, I'll figure that out at some point in time throughout this podcast. I'm still not sure what the fuck Freb is about. And Mirror Man, which makes a million percent sense compared to Freb. And they're in a, a trashy, right, third-gen Trans Am TA, right? Not Titanass, that's Trans Am. So when I say TA, I mean Trans Am. And they're about to steal a car that's in a dealership, but they're listening to Jarrock Wilder by Method Man and Red Man. And Method Man and Red Man's Blackout album was, was one of my favorites at the time. 
And it's interesting because it starts out with a skit with a, a guy like, Hi, my name's Mark, and I'm white. And I just, I thought it was super fucking funny. I thought it was so funny. Uh, there's a little nuance to that with regards to my own situation, but it's still super funny to me. Um, but we have a lot of really good songs. Actually, the the Painted on My Heart song, the end credit song, that is also the aforementioned sex scene song uh, by The Cult. I'm, I'm a fan of The Cult. It is definitely demonstrative of this, like, midlife, like, hey, we need to make a record kind of aesthetic. But it's not bad. It's it's pretty fucking all right, you know? Um, you know, we have Groove Armada, Groove Armada on the soundtrack. We have Ice Cube. We have the Chemical Brothers, which was huge. You know, just another one of those block rocking beats. We have Apollo 440 with Stop the Rock, which is a killer fucking track. And that's, you know, a car-stealing montage, so it's pretty amped. It's pretty hype. DMX, you know, party up in here. You know, woo, y'all gonna make me, you know, that whole thing. Arr, arr. Once again, I can't really make the DMX sounds the way I want to. My son is totally asleep, and I actually have the baby monitor up in front of me, and I'm just like, I hope I didn't wake him up. But uh, there's there's a lot of good stuff. There's also Busy Child, which is when they're fleeing the warehouse, which is a Crystal Method song, and it's apparently not in the soundtrack, but the Crystal Method's first album, Vegas, with Busy Child on it, and Trip Like I Do, and Coming Back, which ended up on, I think, Gran Turismo 2 as a feature mix, as a remix. The Crystal Method's first album is super, 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 super fucking good. If you're into techno, and I say techno because it is not EDM as we know EDM, but it is electronic music as it was at the time. So there's a lot going on, but it's a really fun soundtrack for a fun movie. And at the end of the day, that makes complete sense to me and i'm going to go ahead and i'm going to look up the music supervisor and the music supervisor in this movie was bob badami who has probably the fucking craziest imdb photo i've ever seen so there's that right but uh bob badami also did fury road he also did Armageddon, uh, Sherlock Holmes 2009, The Rock. So there was a point in time where I felt that this movie was Bayesian. And I don't mean Bayes like the mathematician. I mean Bay like Michael Bay. And there's a lot of tie-ins there. There's tie-ins with the music. There's tie-ins with the director. I believe that I called Swordfish very Michael Bay. And it's Dominic Senna, maybe like a Michael Bay Jr., Michael Bay Light. Maybe he was just a stand-in for Michael Bay, and Michael Bay directed this fucking movie. I don't know, but this one, this one feels right. This one feels like everybody showed up on the same mission, and it worked out. But there's the music, and the music is fun. And Music Supervisor, as we talked about in the American Graffiti episode, 
kind of figures out what all the music is going to be. But uh, Trevor Rabin composed all the original music for the movie. And he was also a composer for a bunch of Michael Bay stuff. So there's all those tie-ins. And it it's like, what the fuck is actually going on here? Do we just actually watch the same movie recycled over and over? Maybe that's a question for the philosophers. Maybe this is the movie of Theseus, right? Every script started out as one script, but they started replacing things scene by scene. Is it the same script? Is it the same movie? No, but it has the same name and things. It, it, it's complicated. Uh, Ship of Theseus. If you are asking yourself now, has Mark been drinking? The answer is absolutely yes. Mark has been drinking. Forgive me. But the cast is the cast is pretty well too, and I think I'm going to do this one backwards. I think I'm going to start at not necessarily the bottom, but at the lower end of the notables, and kind of go upwards. This is a different look, yes, but just like I said, I've been drinking. <laughs> Them's the rules, right? So. There's a gentleman by the name of Rainbow Borden who played the carjacker who carjacks Donnie, Astricky, and Freb when they're stealing the Jaguar XJ8. And that's a fun, awesome scene. I love that scene so much, and it's so dumb. Uh, but there's some setups there. Uh, it, it's really good. There are definitely some setups there in that Donnie, the movie takes the time in the scene where they're stealing the XJ8, Freb and Donnie, for Donnie to explain the moral standing of this crew of car thieves. And he does it pretty succinctly. And if you don't pick up on that, like, whoops, my bad, dude. But he says, uh, you know, um, uh, I believe Freb, who's a complete moron, is like, wow, so you like Robin Hood? And he's like, yeah, we steal from the rich and give to the needy, you know? Or there's some kind of variation of that. And Freb says, don't you mean the poor? And he says, nah, man, the needy, because brother, we need this car. And at the thrust of that is the whole point that they are stealing these cars solely to to save the life of, you know, the brother of a very, very dear friend, a very close friend, even though they've been out of contact for some years. That, that doesn't change the situation for these crew of old school car thieves. So... I like that they took that time. I love that piece. I love that sequence. Rainbow Borden kind of comes and he's like, get out the car, asshole. And Donnie fucking lights him up. And he's like, you know, anybody can steal, can pull a gun on somebody, but, you know, it takes somebody with skills to steal a car. You know, and he, the, the punchline there is like, you need a role model. And it's like a role model for criminality. But it was a, it was a fun joke for ostensibly an awful thing. And, you know, maybe we should rethink that, but I I feel like I understood the message, and I'm not mad about it, but that is also my personal bias, because this is 
Mark's movie collection again. So that was a really fun uh, scene, and that had uh, Rainbow Borden in it. <laughs> a second very, very fun scene. Super fun scene. Maybe my, possibly my favorite scene in the movie is when they're shopping for cars. Nicholas Cage is already back in the fold. Uh, Memphis is back in the fold. And he goes to the uh, exotic car dealership. Right, because this character is listed as the exotic car dealer. Even though he has a name in the movie, it's, it's so great. So Nicolas Cage is dressed in a, a nice suit, right? Or some affectation of such. Walks up to the car dealer, who's this perfectly manicured man. And the car dealer says, Hi, my name's Roger. And Nicolas Cage is like, Oh, well, my name's Roger, too. Two Rogers don't make a right. <laughs> and it's super fucking funny to me. Nicolas Cage's performance of this, this car thief performing this character, this social engineering thing, and the uh, counterplay of the straight man, if you will, of the exotic car dealer is really engaging to me. And I, I really love uh, Nick Cage in that. But this car dealer, uh, his name is Stephen Shellen, and he's a Canadian actor. But he was actually the voice of David Seraph in Deus Ex Human Revolution, which I thought was a pretty awesome game. And I thought that David Seraph was a pretty awesome character. So I kind of picked that out, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. So there's that. And next we come to Vinnie Jones. And Vinnie Jones was, oh, I should have looked this up. But we're going to look it up together. And no keyboard sounds based on what I'm seeing on that waveform. So it's going to be like, I'm quiet. That's going to be not accurate. Um, so Vinnie Jones had had some break in England, right? But interestingly enough about Vinnie Jones' stories, Vinnie Jones is a footballer, heavy quotation fingers, because it's not the correct term. The correct term would be soccer player. Bow, bow, bow. Shots fired. Right? And I hit the microphone when I did that. But whatever. I hope it sounds good. If not, uh, fuck me, I guess. Vinny Jones was a, a footballer. And he was known to be extremely intimidating. And his signature move would be to squeeze the testicles of an opposing player. Uh, an opposing. An opposing player. Right, so having casting Vinnie Jones into these bad guy roles is super, super duper on brand, and I loved it, and I bought it, right? 110% hook, line, and sinker, or perhaps lock, stock, and two smoking barrels, which was Vinnie Jones' breakout in 98, and Snatch was the, the Guy Ritchie follow-up in 2000. Both of these movies I have. Snatch, I positively fucking destroyed but i may have another copy by way of my wife but i don't think i'd seen them when i first saw gone in 60 seconds i kind of got on that train a little bit late even though Lockstock and, and snatch had seen some advertising especially on mtv you know like one of them james bond films right like that kind of thing you get the catchphrase but 
it took a little bit, but anyway, I ended up getting those and I love, love, love Vinnie Jones, you know, I, I, I can't think of the characters. It's like, what do you know? Bullet still warm as the blood that courses through my veins, you know, like things like that or, uh, Abby, pull your socks up, right? That's, that's a good line. Those are both from Snatch, if I recall correctly, as Bullet Tooth Tony. In Lockstock, as Big Chris, he has maybe fewer lines, uh, but he says, uh, you know, no, Ari, you can't. That's a big one. And I can't have the asshole, can I? Whoever the guy plays, Harry, the porn guy. I, it's things. It, different, different podcasts. But Vinnie Jones in this movie is, interestingly enough, cast as The Sphinx. And he is cast as The Sphinx. Because fucking English, right? And who knows if an English star will make it. Unheard of. But they introduce him in a working in a morgue, and it is perfect. He gets a he's eating a sandwich and he puts it on a dead body. And I was just disgusted. Disgusted. Purely a hundred and ten percent disgusted buy it and he doesn't talk into the phone he just like you know presses a button things like that and he goes on his romps only to have his moment at the end where he really puts this very uh introspective lens on the movie and everybody's like wow he spoke you know atlee jackson's like wow he spoke you know and i'm like atlee you fucking simpleton you know, Memphis is Memphis comes with uh, Nicholas Cage's character comes with. Hey, man, I thought you were from Long Beach, and that shit killed me. It laid me out. And sometimes when somebody does something unexpected, I look at them and say, "Hey, man, I thought you were from Long Beach," and nobody gets it. But it's it's a joke for me. It's a reference for me. It's not quite a joke. If it was a joke, I could work in TV on a an animated show like Family Guy. If that was a joke. So, Family Guy, what's up? Anyway, Vinny Jones carries out this intimidation so well. Uh, even though he's not physically all that much larger than, or I mean taller. He's, he's a large dude. He's definitely in shape. He's working out. But he's not that much taller than like Nick Cage or any of these folks. Um, honestly, if I had to put a height on him, I'd put him at like 6'2". Uh, he's 6 feet, according to IMDb, so that means he's like, he, they, they list him at 1.85 meters, right? Um, which I'm like 1.96 meters. But I'm significantly taller than he is, because meters make no sense to Americans. But he's listed at 6 feet, so that means he's like 5'11", right? In terms of Hollywood, in terms of acting. So he's not that big, he's not that intimidating, but the movie, the movie makes him so, and my, you know, 14, 15 year old self wanted to believe it. So I did, and that's the same for his characters of Big Chris and Bullet Tooth Tony. They are not perceived, but uh, presented, right? The opposite of perceived, the opposite end of the perception is a pre presentation. They're presented as being these large, intimidating, manly men. And while Vinnie Jones is definitely a very manly man, 
he's not all that big. Um, I think he's an arrow for a bit, and I don't know what that dynamic is with like uh, Stephen Amell or stuff like that. But a lot of people in Arrow are very big, uh, in in Hollywood terms. So maybe it didn't quite work out quite as well. But uh, Vincent Peter Jones, nicknamed the Axe, what a wonderful casting for Sphinx, and what a cool uh, punchline, like. That that's the joke that went through the whole movie. You have Mirror Man just begging for help, like the snake is in my ass, man. The snake is in my ass, and and then the they pair up the very Gabby Mirror Man, the very glib Mirror Man, Mirror Man, not Mirror Man. That sounds Japanese. Mirror Man, uh, no Mirror Man, with the very silent Sphinx, and that's a it's a fun pairing where Finks can just kind of not call Mirror Man out on bullshit too too much, but at least not with words. So Vinnie Jones as Finks, wonderful casting. And that is bringing me to my next uh actor from Across the Pond, Chris Eccleston. And I call him Chris because we are good friends. We're not. It is Christopher Eccleston or Mr. Eccleston, if it's coming from me, but I'm a huge, huge fan. So Chris Eccleston, I said Chris again, I guess we're friends now. Just call me Marky D, baby. Uncle Marky D. Anyway, um, Christopher Eccleston, <laughs> I should say, Christopher, uh, Mr. Eccleston was the ninth Doctor, if memory serves. Uh, yes, this is a Doctor Who thing. You may not peg me for a Whovian, per se, and I wasn't before uh, the 2005 Doctor Who, the ninth Doctor, played by Christopher Eccleston. And I really turned the corner on that really hard. Um it was kind of like opening up new doors for me. So that was really cool. And I, I promise you this kind of like plays parts in it. Cause I was like, this is the guy from fast and furious. I'm going to watch this. And I'm going to say that doctor who knew doctor who knew who, right? Not a chocolate drink, but new doctor who television program from the BBC changed my life uh maybe in some minor ways but uh friends were made and, and things like that through it not that I, I i i don't watch it anymore i i didn't finish capaldi uh i know that the current doctor is a woman and uh i believe her name is jody whittaker i may be making that up that might have been a dream but i'm sure she is stellar at it it just the general writing and production of those folks, uh, they've tainted me with the American Dirk Gently, right? Or the BBC America or the, the current invocation of Dirk Gently because it just feels like Doctor Who for Americans or Doctor Who without the crazy things that Americans wouldn't understand, even though, even though. Elijah Wood is wonderful, and apparently it was 
fucking created by Max Landis, which now makes me hate Max Landis. It just feels like a, a Doctor Who for Americans. And maybe that was his intent. Uh, but there's a lot going on there behind the scenes. I'm actually more interested in the like uh, 2010 BBC4 remake, but apparently they, that one got pulled when the new one came out. So I'll never get to see it. So fuck me, right? Thank you, whoever decided this. But yes, Christopher Eccleston is my favorite Doctor. The Ninth Doctor is my favorite Doctor that leaves no room for argument. It is fact. And I was, like, really hyped for him because I, I came in with hype once I saw him on screen. He has that great uh, Lancashire accent, apparently. That was like a North... Northwestern England accent, right? Which um, in a Guy Ritchie movie would be like, these fucking northern fairies, right? That kind of thing. So it's really cool, but he's very intense. I know that he was the villain in Thor 2, but I don't know what the fuck happened in Thor 2 because I literally can't remember it. And by far and large, it's been the, the most forgettable Marvel Cinematic Movie, and is usually at the bottom of the list. For me, it's like hot bottom, because if you ask me what the fuck happens in that movie, I don't know. I literally don't know, but that's not his fault. But he brings this weird uh, swagger, right, to car thieving in Gone in 60 Seconds, and he has such great lines, and his accent is so good. <laughs> like... No one insults me, and no one puts a gun to me head. You know, like, things like that. And these are poor, poor impersonations of him. Um, you know, but that, that scene at the end, where it's like, it's like, done, finished, over. Like, it's so good, because he's like a psycho fucking path. He doesn't, he doesn't show emotion. He is illustrating this concept of 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 Raymond Kalitri, right? The character that he's portraying this the devil came down to Long Beach to quote the character of Atlee Jackson. He was looking for a soul to steal is the the next like thing and, and ostensibly he was stealing Kip Reigns' soul and subsequently Memphis Reigns' soul. So he is like the devil stealing souls. And he brings up a duel with the best car thief, right? So like the like the Charlie Daniels band song, he picks the best one and be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna duel you, right? Uh or like the KMC crew song. He's like, I'm gonna DJ battle you. And if you haven't heard the KMC crew version of this, it is the devil came up to Michigan. And the devil sucks. Just like in the Charlie Daniels band, the devil sucks. If you want to like break that story a little more, you can listen to uh, Story Break Podcast. The Story Break Podcast is uh, some Hollywood professionals who kind of figure, they, they break stories in one hour of time, and they did a, a Devil King Down in Georgia story recently, episode. So Raymond Kalitri is that devil in Long Beach. And Eccleston just fucking kills it. Like, if you had to, 
if you had to put a, a value judgment on who is the best actor in this movie, I'd probably say it was him. I'd probably say it was him with a couple of very, very, very close follow-ups that we're actually going to get into, like, right now. But I loved his performance. I thought it was great. And I thought he was a very unique uh, person, persona, character, and otherwise. And I'll watch anything he's in, basically. But we'll get to one of those other awesome character actors right now, which is normally not a character actor, but even more of like a a, a leading man or, or a very strong supporting nominated uh, actor, Robert Duvall, as Otto Hallowell. And he's like a retired chop shop guy, but he's kind of like the... He's a bit of the moral compass, the reasonable, like the conscious, the conscience, the the dad, almost, of of the group and it's a really cool dynamic because Robert Duvall's getting on in age already so he's not he's not consigliere right anymore that's not him nor could it be he doesn't he doesn't like the smell of napalm in the morning but he'll take uh he'll take some exhaust maybe a a rich carburetor whatever the case is or race gas. I love the way that race gas smells. By the way, race gas is uh, very, um, what's the word for the thing that, caustic, I think, the thing that gives you cancer, caustic. Race gas is pretty caustic, but it smells great. It smells so good. So if you've never been out to the races and, and smelled the, the sweet smell of race gas, go ahead, just... Motorsport, motor motorsport is 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 fun, but it is dangerous, and maybe that's part of the fun. So Otto Hallowell is kind of like in that, and he's like he's cleaned up, but not really. He's still a dirty old man in in some respects. And in the extended edition, we get a little more Otto Hallowell. We also get a June Hallowell too, a little more. So she was um scenery in the theatrical release but we definitely get more in the extended release not so much that she's like wow that's a real character but more in that you know people speak to her and she speaks to them so that's cool that's pretty all right and if you're asking like well why didn't you look that up i'm like i don't really have anything to say about that character she's just there you got it this is it she was Slightly better in the extended edition, or director's cut, or unrated cut is actually what it's called. But I'll just jump into Shy McBride. Shy McBride as Donnie Astricky is one of the funniest characters. Uh, I think he just has this like natural comedic timing, the 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 timbre of his voice and and things like that. His personage, he's big, you know, like fat but tall, but like not aggressive like friendly like a teddy bear like it's really cool and again the like the carjacker scene like really put a lot of spin on the movie and things like that uh uh donnie astricky's scenes where he's like leaving the driving school business is questionable in a lot of ways but fun perhaps if you're not examining that 
but like ultimately he just puts a lot of people at risk that's that's the worst of it he's just like hey fuck it everyone could die i don't care i quit this job that, that that's a that's an insane idea of of responsibility in the the grand scheme of things but it, it's for the movie and the movie is the movie is that type of movie it is a dumb dumb movie and it does not take too long to examine what the repercussions of everything are even though repercussions of things do happen to the characters they are not not of the tier that they are potentially creating so then we have uh timothy oliphant who is the perfect fucking stooge and the perfect foil for Detective Kesselbeck, Timothy Oliphant plays uh, Detective Drykoff. And he's like the douche cop. He's a douche cop. Uh, you know, and he has these like really kind of interesting choices, deliveries that have always stuck in my head. So I'm pretty sure that this movie is the first thing I ever saw him in. And in seeing him in like uh live free or die hard or as it was called in the uh latin american market die hard 4.0 or die hard 4.0 fucking because they don't know what live free or blah is live free or die that makes no sense to people who are not american that makes no sense but has no context to people who are not american um, and then from there, uh, Catch and Release, or Catch and Release was probably before with Kevin Smith, but definitely before. But then, like, Justified and things like that, like, all of my frame of reference for Timothy Oliphant is fabricated from this role as Detective Drykoff. And one of my favorite fucking lines is when uh, him and Kesselbeck kind of, uh, kind of roused uh memphis reigns after he finishes talking to his mom and he's just kind of you know being the the color commentary and then he's like by the time you get out asshole there won't even be cars we'll all be zooming around in spaceships that'll suck and it's just like the craziest thing it's like he he fully communicates that like, he's not really good at this, but, like, he's getting there, you know, kind of thing. He's, like, the junior. But it's so funny to me. Um, And then when he, like, um, in the big chase scene, he gets out, and he's, like, you know, at, at the shipyard, dude gets hit with, like, the wrecking ball, and he's, like, hey, you know, are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? Because you just went through a wall. Like, I think that that has informed speech patterns of us now today in 2019 we talk like that i don't know that it originated there but it was reinforced there for sure right sounds like a really interesting thing but we can jump right into uh delroy lindo as roland kesselbeck and he has a lot of very good lines like that too you know uh again when they're rousting uh memphis reigns i feel like they they did that take, they did those takes a lot and they ad-libbed a bit because, uh, you know, he does one. He's like, uh, if you use an aerosol can other than directed, I mean, I don't care. And he has like a, like a, a really weird 
I've never fucking heard this accent kind of thing going on. And his looks, his gravitas, he's so serious. Uh, Delroy Lindo, like, kills it as this uh, super veteran, like, mean cop. Will Patton as Atlee Jackson. IMDb literally has him listed as, like, this guy always plays the right-hand man to the leader role, right? And I'm like, well, fuck. I guess they, they nailed that shit on the head. Uh, and he has some good lines, too. He has some extended scenes also with uh, with Memphis Reigns, uh, Nicolas Cage in the unrated cut. But... There's one in particular where he's just like, you know, are you nervous? I'm nervous. And, and, and like, is this going to work and all that stuff? And there's this, this fear, this anxiety and this guilt for bringing um, Memphis into this, but also that he, he never wanted anything to happen to Kip in the first place. He was working with him to, to make sure that, that it went smoothly. And as a matter of fact, I think that the professional professionalism of the initial bust that was, you know, or the initial heist that was busted in the beginning of the movie by Kip's shittiness was actually like when Kesselbeck walks in and he's like, this feels like, this feels like Memphis Reigns. I think that he wanted to say it feels like Atlee Jackson or, or maybe it feels like that crew that Memphis left, but that Atlee has like kind of perpetuated with his knowledge and his experience. Um, Will Patton, I think, does a, a very apt job at Atlee Jackson. He's also listed as having a sibilant voice with southern accent, and I'm not going to argue that. And he also uh, narrates ebooks and has narrated about 40 ebooks. So if you see a, an ebook narrated by Will Patton, go ahead and check it out if it's something you're interested in. I think he has a great voice, honestly. I don't feel so good about myself right now. It's it's allergies and, and things. Um so I don't think I'll be doing any ebooks anytime soon. Also, my elocution could leave a lot to be desired. But you know what else can be leave a lot to be desired is James Duval's character and James Duval, no, no relation to Robert Duval, spelled differently. Uh, James Duvall plays the character of Freb, F-R-E-B, Foxtrot Romeo Echo Bravo. What the fuck kind of name is Freb? I'm going to type Freb into Google right now and see what the fuck I get. I get Phineas and Freb, which is not a thing. Uh, how to enable and analyze Freb logs on web apps and just a video called Freb. Uh, Freb being like failed requests or whatever. Freb viewer. Freb. Edgy. Freb uh, feet smeller. Act stupid all the time. Immature on Urban Dictionary. That's a fucking term that completely missed me. Uh... Freb's edgy to the point that they start listening to blah, cringy, and they say rawr unironically. Yeah, I don't know. The If it was like nerd, if his name was like nerd, I would get it. But Freb is not, 
that's not a thing that I've ever had context for. So this national movie had a character with a name that had no fucking context in at least a mark a, a large market. What the fuck is a Freb? That's all I have to say about Freb, honestly. Like that's it. Freb's character is just that it'll be a foil for people to, like talk to. It's he's the sink for the exposition. Like instead of just telling the camera, they tell Freb who is also on camera. And that's it. Fuck Freb. Scott Kahn as Tumblr. Very funny. Uh, I also mentioned uh, Misery. My last podcast, last episode. I meant James Kahn. Scott Kahn. James Kahn's son. Coincidence? I think not. It, I didn't plan this specifically because it would allow me to correct that, but it's really... Convenient. It's very convenient, I shall say. So Kathy Bates is the name of the actress, and I'm particularly upset with myself because Kathy Bates always made me think of Norman Bates like, Psycho Killer Norman Bates! And that's an old dirty bastard reference. Whatever. Just just go with it. It's fine. It, it's fine, I promise. So, Tumblr, he's kind of alright. He has that good monologue in the beginning with the stranger. Fun fact, uh, first time I ever heard Rub One Out. Again, no context, large market. Uh, but a different market where I grew up and things like that. Very different. No one's ever said Rub One Out. But, uh, in the... So this is when I first started noticing that the DVD that I had was different because he says, then I, I jerk it or something like that. I'm like, wait a fucking second. He never said that. I had to like figure that out on my own. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, so the unrated version is, is a, maybe a little more crass. Um, I think the, the sex scene when they're, you know, Sway and Sway and Memphis are stealing the uh, Diablo is a little longer and maybe a little lighter. There's that. William Lee Scott uh, plays Toby and literally who the fuck cares? His whole job is to catch a bullet and he does that. TJ Cross plays Mirror Man and Mirror Man is like uh, one of the main vehicles for comic relief. And I thought he was really funny, really engaging. You know, he's like, after this is done, I'm going to smoke. Smoking out some weed, watch two hours of Roots, and I'm going to kick your ass. And he's talking to Sphinx, who's enormous compared to Mirror Man. And silent and non-reactive. Like, it doesn't phase Sphinx at all. So that was really cool. It was fun. It was fun to have Mirror Man opposite, you know, Sphinx, TJ Cross opposite Vinnie Jones. I haven't really seen TJ Cross in much else, though, so... Yeah, he didn't, he stopped acting, well, I don't know that he stopped, but he hadn't had uh, a job since Bad Company in, like, 2002. I don't even know what that is. So TJ Cross didn't quite make it, but I remember seeing, like, Mirror Man fan pages, and I was like, okay. 
Oh, Bad Company is the uh, the Chris Rock movie. Oh, God, with Anthony Hopkins, where it's like, my twin brother, whoa. Chris Rock joke that's racist that I want to reference, but I'm just going to not. And even he's kind of like walking that shit back. Um, But Peter Stormare is in that movie, and that Peter Stormare is, is colloquially known among my friends as Russian guy. And when you say, oh, the Russian guy, everybody... Everyone knows who's your. Everyone knows who you're talking about, but he's not Russian. He's Swedish. So I think that's the, the poetic twist at the end, right? That's the, uh, the act four, if you will. But aside from T.J. Cross, we have Angelina Jolie, who is ostensibly the biggest star, or one of the biggest stars in the movie, and I think that's why she's built so high. I think that she's. Um, put on the movie poster and things like that so people won't think, oh, it's a fucking sausage fest. Um, but she is Sarah Sway Wayland. I didn't know that she had a last name, but I, I believe somebody calls her, hey, Sarah, when she's working on the Ferraris or in, in the dealership. And Sway has a, a lot of interesting things going on uh, herself in that she's out um, in the extended edition. We find out that she got arrested. And that Memphis uh, leaves, you know, he's like, uh, again, in the sex scene, the uh, stealing the Diablo, sitting in the Hemikuda sex scene. Not that they're having sex, they're thinking about having sex, they're strongly considering having sex while other people who are owners of a car are having sex. He says, uh, you know, I had a girl once, she was pretty great. And then she says, why'd you leave her? And in my normal cut, she kind of runs off. But in the extended, unrated cut, he says, well, her parole officer said it was a, 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 I'm sorry, it was a very strong recommendation from her parole officer. So we, we learned that she got, got, but that she's kind of making it back, but she's having to work these uh, less than optimal jobs as, you know, I guess they, they, they really don't touch on it, but after you've been paroled and, and, and things like that, after you're a convict, it's really hard to get work that is lucrative and fulfilling and things like that. Like, there's not a whole lot that you can do. So, you know, that's why she's working so hard and, and she has uh, a mechanic job and then a bartender job because those are things that, you know, probably as an ex-con you could get into if you're, like, really about it. But she has like kind of like third billing, I guess, behind uh, the two Reigns brothers, if you will, which are uh, played by Giovanni Ribisi and Nicolas Cage. And, and Giovanni Ribisi has this um, wildly accurate, greasy uh, representation of Kip Reigns. And it's very uh, congested. It's very post-nasal drip. But he does get a different scene in the unrated version where he uh, has Memphis over to his house after getting his uh, life saved. And it puts a different spin on the character. And there's a couple of um, modified dialogue uh, scenes. You know, one where Memphis asks him if he's nervous and, and Kip says, Nah, man, it is what it is. And, you know, Memphis is kind of upset because he's like, listen, everybody's out here doing dangerous shit for you. 
how are you going to be like totally okay with it and, and things like that and Memphis is kind of being a dick because yes he is a very upset that he's there uh, but maybe he's more upset that he's liking it there, there's there's a lot um, in the terms of, of Memphis and Kip and that's about it and, and maybe Atlee right that they don't go into too much uh, in the movie, but the unrated version maybe goes a little into it a little more. Um, but the other characters are are literally like scenery, um, very engaging scenery. Uh, maybe Kesselbeck and and uh, Drykov, right? Because they're the I guess the third party antagonists. So. But they have history, I guess, is where I'm going at. These are really the the main characters with history, Sway and and Otto and Donnie and these people. They have history, but it doesn't matter as much. So, you know, he's just... Giovanni nails being a, a dickbag with uh, unfeeling eyes basically the whole time. And Nicolas Cage provides the crazy, weird, wild, wired, tired uh, Memphis Reigns. And he's got notable lines like, you take 80 out of 200 and we'll make a deal. And, uh, you know, Donnie Lowrider, Lowrider, Donnie, you know, and just instantly blasts to Palm Springs feeling, or blasts to Palm Springs feeling instantly better about myself. Again, when he's talking to uh, Kip and opening up. And I love that scene also. Uh, and I love his delivery of these things. His delivery is definitely uncharacteristic and unusual. But there are, are choices. And I want them to be the right ones. Um, I feel like they are the right ones, I should say. And I want you to agree with me, but I'm not holding it against you if you don't. But I love this movie. Editing was reasonable. There are some parts where you're just like, what the actual fuck? The the shipyard scene, I think, takes the place of the construction site scene in, you know, 1974, Gone in 60 Seconds, in that the construction site scene sucked. The shipyard scene is maybe the suckier part of the chase. Because there is literally no sense of, of, of time and space in there. You don't know what is up or down or, or backwards or forwards. Um, and they have somebody like attempting to narrate it to you over the police comms like they did in the, the previous version. But it doesn't work and it doesn't mean anything. I feel like a lot of that had to do with how stunt intensive that uh, location was. Because they had the canister the the gas canister that was apparently ricocheting around and hitting everything it wasn't it was on wires but there was a lot to it so i think that in the edit it just it didn't work out and it fell apart uh i don't think that there are really too many slow parts or nasty parts or anything like that i don't recall any awful edits in the prior parts of the movie, I mean, there were some scenes that were really good and tense. Um, the shootout with Kalitri also bad, maybe in editing, you, you don't know where the hell anything is, but you feel, or I do, 
I feel like you could just get shot out of any corner. It's like a a laser tag game on steroids, you know. So even though I know in my objective mind it's not a great scene or sequence or whatever the case is, in my like heart, I'm like, oh my god, don't get shot. And then the thing about the falling through the grates of the bottomless abyss, like, eh, it's a factory, bro. Relax. You know, the scene where Freb brings a, a boosted car that he stole himself uh, that is full of heroin and, and Castleback comes in. That's also a holdover from the original 1974, but it's it's really tense. It feels good. Um, feels great. The action sequences in general feel really good. Um, I think to avoid kind of the min movie, like uh, the injected uh, Master P, in there, unfortunately, he made me say, uh, na 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 na, because I don't enjoy him in anything, not even I got the hookup. Like, I just no, I'm, I'm good without Master P. But his, um, uh, antagonistic Johnny B character or, or murderous, even Johnny B character was, was there was some fun stuff, you know, like, uh, improbably fun, like. Sphinx blowing up his car and showing up in the nick of time and things like that. Then the whole like chase sequence with him and Kip where they just ditch a car and they end up at a truck stop and you know Nicholas Cage is like I which I don't know if that was I think that was like racist. Honestly, looking back, I think he's like, Well, you're black, so I'm gonna say I like really exaggerated anyway the times help <laughs> uh that was just oh and and the american graffiti callback of course it was just to keep that movie rolling in a way that didn't derail the uh detective plot nor the car stealing plot nor the kip might die plot so that was like a fourth story in there kind of deal. And that that's fun. Um, there's no real stakes with the mom. You know, she's like, go save his fucking life as any fucking reasonable human being would do if they were the mother of a child. But like, do whatever, right? Once again, going back to Donnie's, you know, brother, we need this car thing. They don't want it. They just need it. Um... And the movie does a bad job of, of illustrating that through the idea or, or portrayal of the auxiliary car thieves just wanting to steal cars again because they're bored with civilian life. So I don't think that was a good move, but whatever. But there's a lot to it. But, you know, I've been talking for a long time and I actually want to talk about the cars. This is... This is actually one of the things that I wanted to talk about was just the cars. So I'm going to see if I can find that. Here we go. Here we go. 50 cars, not 49 and a half. DB7, a DB1, an Arnage, an Azure, Continental. So DB1 and, and Continental are definitely classics. Barbara and Alma. Yeah, pretty wild. 
pretty wild uh, uh 59 eldorado l dog which you see uh or maybe it was the the 58 brome but there was a fucking massive whale with fins right pink cadillac it was one of those uh obviously the 99 escalade which um the first generation escalade as far as i know is one of the most stolen vehicles and it's very 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 rare to see one in this day and age because most were stolen so there's that uh an eldorado sts eh, wouldn't be trying to steal that car too much at 2000 eldorado sts um uh, 57 Beller convertible uh, i'm not a fan of the right top myself personally i think that convertibles are for uh dilettantes and poseurs i feel like the hard hard top is the way to go um no posts really to get the whole thing and, and the trim and all that you know 69 z28 53 corvette 67 stingray l71 um an F three fifty at some point, I guess that hadn't like been a thing just yet. But diesel trucks are literally all over the place right now. Uh Detomaso Pantera, which is really cool. Uh if a pain in the ass, a Plymouth Superbird, which we see pulling up uh with the XJ two twenty, if I believe, uh ninety eight Viper GTS. Okay, we get to the Ferraris, which is a uh, 95 355 which i think is like the gold uh golden eye car that xenia drives roughly uh 97 355 f1 1967 <laughs> 275 gtb4 cam is like a bajillion dollar car um a 550 marinello and uh, a 99 and a 97 or 87 testarossa so those are the list of the ferraris those are a lot of expensive cars uh, just in and of themselves, apparently they wanted to steal a GMC Yukon because product placement and Transformers hadn't come out yet. A Hummer H1, again, product placement, and again, the snake is in my ass. Um, an Infinity Q45, just fucking because. XJ220 is like a bajillion dollar car as well. Wonderful car. I think I got one in Grand Turismo 2 and it was like my favorite shit. It looks like a fucking spaceship. It's amazing. Uh, the XJ220, the XKA coupe I was disappointed in, I would have imagined that they would have used an XKR, but I, you know, maybe they didn't have the XKR in 99, but they did in 2000. So it's an XK8, which is still a cool car. Uh, a, a Diablo SE30. So that's the Lamborghini Diablo that they're stealing. It's not even an SV. So it's like a garbage Diablo. Got it uh ls400 because fuck you the diablo's name is is gina by the way uh a navigator because fuck off uh a 1957 mercedes-benz sl gullwing dorothy a bajillion dollar car uh, a 99 cl50 cl500 is a cool car a 99 s600 cool car an sl600 also a cool car uh a 1950 mercury custom gabriela that seems racist but that's that's not even like that car was so customized as to not even be the car that they were stealing. Like whatever. Um, a Hemikuda seventy one, which is maybe the ugly year. I think I like maybe seventy. Um, a sixty nine Roadrunner. Roadrunners are what they are: big nose, big wing, 
NASCAR. A 65 Pontiac GTO, which I don't recall seeing in the movie, but I would love that Pontiac GTO. Uh, 99996. Uh, 2000 Boxer, which is like the Kmart Porsche. Uh, 356 Speedster, which is like a bajillion dollar car. Uh, Porsche 959 is also a triple bajillion dollar car. A quadrillion dollar car, like a super bajillion dollar car. Um, a 97 911 Twin Turbo, it's an expensive car. That's like a Bad Boys, Michael Bay car, almost. Even though Bad Boys was a 95, so the older model. So, no, but the 97 was like puppy. Actually, was Bad Boys a 95? No, not Bad Boys 3, man. Yeah, Bad Boys was a 95. Okay, so older model Porsche and Bad Boys. Uh, so, I'm going to assume that Tanya, the 911 Twin Turbo, is the Porsche... No, it was the 996 that they were stealing, because it... Kip at the beginning steals like a Carrera, right? It's not a 911 Twin Turbo, so... Yeah, 996. Uh... Rolls Royce, Rolls Royce, Rolls Royce Limousine, Grace, uh, Shelby AC Cobra, Ashley, Toyota Land Cruiser, Katie, Toyota Super Turbo, which I don't remember seeing in the movie, which is Lynn, Ew. and uh, Volvo S80. Every time I drove my Volvo in Beverly Hills, they tow the shit. Fuck, I love it. And then, last but not least, the 1967. Shelby GT500, Eleanor, right? Eleanor was a grande. This Eleanor was definitely better. Um, this Eleanor was uh, modified by Chip Foose. It's very Foosian. The main thing I hate about it is the bucktooth uh, fog lights or driving lights, the kind of together driving lights. That is disgusting to me, and it's never okay. But Foose is Foose, and hey, the rest of the car is pretty good. So, that being said, if you gave me a non-Foose, non-Eleanor, Fastback GT500 Mustang, I'm super about that. So I guess I'm going to get into my like closing thoughts. I've, I've thought a lot of things, and I've actually not thought a lot of things that I forgot about in the time that I've watched the movie. Or since I've watched the movie, I should say. I'm very glad that uh, Michael Pena has the Enya back on his name now. Kind of like officially, because for a while it was Michael Pena. And I was like, that's that's not how that name goes. Not that I know how everybody's name is, but I mean, that one's pretty obvious. So happy about that. Uh, he's the dude that's like... <laughs> Yo, man, stay off. He plays a stereotypical uh, gangbanger. He's moved on, and that's good for him. You should watch Grace Point. So that's cool. Uh, the movie itself is a dumb, fun movie. Don't think too hard about it at all. Uh, the CG, when you see it, it is disgusting. The CG is fairly disgusting in this movie. The, I should say the posts, the later, 
stages of the chase and the post chase scene are are not great. Are not great. Uh, the Sphinx once again reveal pretty fun. Uh, I think that the movie does have some heart. I think the fact that that Kip used honest money to to buy his brother a car is a very touching moment. If anybody ever bought me a car, Lord knows I would cry uh, because I love cars, but they are a burden in and of themselves. And I think maybe family is a burden in and of itself, but we do the best we can would be the motto. But are they stealing cars again at the end? Or are they like, we're anti-car thefts, we're car theft investigators. They don't really get into that, right? So there's no necessarily redeeming of these uh, groups of uh, individuals. But we know them to be I wouldn't say Well, I'm tired right now. I wouldn't say that they are morally sound, but they're they're not uh, vicious, hurtful people. So we know them to be good people in that respect. They are are gentle and caring as as they can be while stealing your shit, while stealing your shit, and while I hit the microphone. But that's the movie, man. I, I was looking for like a big arc there. I don't, I don't find one. Doesn't exist. Oh fuck! I feel bad about this one, but I like this movie. I feel really bad about this episode, but I fucking like this movie. I thought there was gonna be more to talk about, and I'm maybe way over average time right now. But I like this movie, and. I mean, realistically, I could talk more about it. I was kind of under the gun on this one, too, man. Life has been kicking me in the ass. So, there's that. There's that. But, uh, in busy life, you got a lot of people in your life. You will be busy. So, for all those people who are busy, you know, think about that. Don't get too, too mad about it. For the people who aren't, make the most of it. Create something. Make something good. Put something good in the world. I'm going to sign off with uh, put something good in the world. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this rant. This uh, gone in 60 minutes rant. Oh, Also, I do want to point out, sorry, last fucking thing. $90 million budget made 200 and something million. These are small, small numbers, but these are year 2000 numbers, which are fucking insane. This is a Disney movie. That's the wildest part. This is technically a Disney movie. So think on that. The next time you see somebody stealing a car, I guess. Thank you, Disney. Thank you. All right. So here for some corrections, some addendums, Things like that. This is in the editing process, so this is way after this was recorded. But hey, fair enough. Sway was pivotal on getting the Ferraris, right? Which we 
we went through the list, we saw there was a couple, although they were definitely far-fetched in avail- availability. Uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. I am learning to speak. Are you a skeeler? Availability. Availability. That was, that took way more. Anyway, Sway was really pivotal in that, and that was really cool. I'm not trying to take away from the character. I'm just saying that in the, so editing is, and and, and editing in, not in movie terms, in, in switching scenes and, and camera shots and things like that, but editing in the terms of text and story and prose and, and things like that. You have to you have to take away everything, right? And then take away some more. And I feel like Sway was the result of that, but she was a big enough star. Angelina was a big enough star that that she's on the poster. So that's that's the the comment that I wanted to make. I'm always struck by um I had a, a wonderful uh teacher, a wonderful photography teacher named Gloria, and she was, uh, I think she told me one time, you know, photography is where you, uh, you get as close enough as you're comfortable to the subject, and then you take two steps more, right? I, I want to attribute that quote to her. I, I feel like I heard that from her. Maybe it wasn't her original quote, but maybe she relayed that to me. It's It's been years, but she's a, a wonderful photography teacher, and I, I like to to count her as a friend, ultimately. But that same kind of tack comes to editing, where it's, and also kill your darlings, right? Anything that you're really attached to, get rid of it, because you're biased. Uh, So I felt like Sway was a victim of maybe story editing a bit. I also want to call out that the cinematography, the lighting, was not thematically insensitive. There was a lot of good lighting and, and good cinematography happening, even though, by far and large, the movie is either yellow, yellow and teal, or teal. But, specifically, a good call-out is the the talk with uh, b- between Memphis and Kip, where it's nighttime and, and Memphis is kind of opening up as to why he left the car thieving thing. Kip um, is skeptical of the whole thing. And Kip is like, well, you know, you don't understand, right? And, and nasal and congested as I am now. But Memphis is really opening up. And that scene actually starts out where they go onto the porch of Kip's, like, whatever the fuck house that is with the insane maniac interior design and things which i think um in a vacuum my my house would probably look a lot like kips because i'm just that kind of chaotic mess naturally there is when you walk out onto the porch when we walk out onto the porch with the camera and things like that there is a leather chair all the way screen right that is lit by a very warm orange yellow light as the traditional lighting is of the movie and on the left is kind of like the blue teal light very cold light and memphis ends up walking to and sitting in the warm light while he is confessing or or maybe opening himself up 
to Kip as to the circumstances of his leaving the car thieving industry and things like that. And Kip being skeptical is still in the cold light and they haven't they haven't made that connection yet. So having that uh, dichotomy of lighting is a very wonderful thematic lighting situation. And there are other things that happen in the movie that I don't I didn't really call out per se, but that one that one felt particularly strong. So I felt like the movie kind of as dumb and I I use that word lovingly as dumb as the movie is lovingly i feel like it worked on a lot of levels because a lot of people worked very hard on it so uh i i once again i genuinely enjoyed the movie thank you for listening i hope that i i i, I honestly hope to hear your feedback on the movie because that kind of engagement is really interesting to me at least you can find me at CoolMarkD, Cool with a C, and Mark with a K on Twitter. That's kind of how I'm handling that for now. Uh, I mean, Twitter is a thing. I don't know. I I use it kind of inappropriately if you ask anybody who's a podcast professional, quote-unquote. But it's more of a casual thing for me at this moment in time. I'm not making money off of this or anything. So... It's it's just definitely a fun thing. Thank you for listening. Uh, I hope to see you again next week. Apologies that this episode was so, so late. But, you know, like I said, life uh, finds a way, right? There's a lot going on. Uh, today I was actually outside in the sun doing a lot of yard work and things like that. And that was rewarding in and of itself in a very different way. I'm not normally outside. I'm not normally in the sun. That's not my normal look, or it hasn't been for, for some years, but it is what it is. So, editing coming through and uploading as soon as possible. Thank you again. Thank you for your patience. And see you next week. Hopefully, I'm going to definitely make an effort to work on next week's podcast throughout the week coming up. I have a lot going on. I actually have composed uh, a little bit of, of music for it. And by little bit, I mean like a short, tiny fucking bit. But for someone who doesn't have a music composition background, I think it's a big deal. So I would love to hear your feedback on that. And again, thanks. Good night.